Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to another Mission Unstoppable. It's been a busy week. I see you again. <laughs> hello, Facebook friends. Well, let me tell you something. A group of friends were sitting around a table in Santa Fe, New Mexico, each an expert in addiction recovery, psychology, health sciences, and the wisdom and native traditions of healing to discuss a shared concern, the low success rate of traditional addiction therapy. Their goal was to identify healing processes that they knew from experience were the most helpful and combine them into a new delivery program, or better yet, a new paradigm for working with people who had addiction. But wanting to keep and help as many people as possible, they expanded their program to include people who have experienced trauma, who are struggling with any other kind of condition that keeps them from moving forward in their lives. And we know from listening to this show, there's a whole lot of folks that have a problem with that. My guest today is Mr. Lee McCormick. He is one of the healers who sat at that table, and he became one of the two primary authors of what became the Heart Reconnection Guidebook. Lee is the founder of the Ranch Recovery Center in Tennessee and the Canyon Treatment Center in Malibu, California. He's also the founder of Nashville's Integrative Life Center. He founded Spirit Recovery, Inc. to produce healing and recovery conferences and spiritual journeys around the world. Wow, he's a busy man. He's also a co-founder of Front Porch Partners, a consulting management and research development company working in the medical and behavioral uh, health disciplines. Lee has also authored the Spirit Recovery Meditation Journal to assist people in reclaiming their lives, and he's the co-author of Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag with HCI Books. Okay, we're going on. Lee is also the executive producer and has a leading role in the documentary Dreaming Heaven, the true story of experiences of 18 people over five days at Teotihuacan, Mexico. He's led many journeys to this place of power, and today he's going to lead us there. I think. <laughs> Welcome, Lee, to the show. Yeah, thanks. Wow. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind beaming into Mexico about now. Yeah, it'd be nice. I, I'm sitting in snow, so it'd be awesome. <laughs> oh well, I'm actually going back home there next week. So. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I understand you have a home there. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. So you guys were sitting around this table. Who were they? Who Who were these these friends? These uh, work colleagues. Who Who were they? Um, well, we were all in Santa Fe together for a U.S. Journal Mental Health Addictions Conference that we were all participating in. Um, and it was Mary Faulkner, who is my main writing partner um, in this book, and Dr. Joan Borsinko. Mm -hmm. um, Joan's, Joan's pretty well known. She's written a lot of books. She's an amazing person. Gary Seidler, who was the founder of HCI Books. Um, and U.S. Journal Conferences, um, and Holly Cook, who is um, a master's level therapist that we work together at the Integrative Life Center in Nashville. Um, 
that was the core. And Joan's husband, Gordy Deveren, that was the core of the group. Um, you know, and I've, I've been involved in the mental health addictions recovery scene for about 20 years, um, 21 years. And I've never been satisfied with the traditional message. Um, I've always felt like rather than moving into programming people and trying to teach them, tell them who they are or what they are and what they need to do in order to be, you know, good enough or be successful recovering people. Um, what I think we're really in need of on the front end is we need to be deprogrammed, not reprogrammed. We need a chance to unravel our life, our self, our beliefs, our experiences, um, take it all apart and, and sit with it for a while and look at it from different points of view, you know, with support, if that's available. Um, and refigure how we want to live in relationship with ourself first and then with the world. You know, know, (laughs) I have to say, I I don't think that that's just necessary for people with mental health or addiction. Oh no, not at all. No, I think everybody needs to do that because we have been socialized to not even know who we are, to have beliefs that we don't even question. No, we don't. Well, you know, we're born into a script, right? We're born into a culture And the culture immediately programs us to be compliant members of that belief system. And that's what we're taught is most important. And then we're taught that for us to have value, we must live up to the expectations of, you know, whatever the, the authority figures are, whether it's how good or bad you are. (laughs) Exactly. And everything is conditional and everything is based in judgment of good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah. Um, So we're completely programmed from the beginning to give our faith away to something outside of ourselves, um, And then to, to, to chase whatever it is we decide we need to be chasing in order to have value in the world. And it's all completely upside down and it's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we have an innate value by the fact that we're here. Right. You know, it's, it's so, it's so interesting in so many religious, um, platforms to to it's like well wait a minute if the one that created me saw fit to create me and put me here then clearly i have a value by the intention of the creator right and so you know like the old saying you can't serve two masters so you know immediately there's a conflict there and we live with so because the world we're born into is so incongruent the people that love us Love us, but it's conditional love. And the systems that we're taught we must serve in order to have value um, are, tend to be very predatory in nature. And then there's all that judgment and fear woven into it. So it, it puts us in a, in a, in a conflict and in an incongruent environment from the get-go. Then we wonder, why am I not comfortable in my own skin? You know, why, why am I not at peace with myself? Why... Why am I anxious and why am I afraid and why, why is there so much struggle in my life? It's like, good grief, we're born into a nut house. I'm going to stop you there for a second because on the show, Unstoppable, I like to go back to, to who my guests are, actually. I like to go back. Where did you grow up and how did you grow up? And when did this, this you know, little boy playing with things, I'm going to be a healer? Like, what were you going to be when you grew up? 
Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> I pretty much grew up trying to avoid the things that I didn't want to be. <laughs> um, rather than knowing what I did want to do, I knew what I didn't want to do. What and didn't so, you want to do? Yeah. And so, you know, I grew up in a, in a big family in North Florida that had been there since the mid 1800s. Um, my family owned ranches, um, that had been homesteaded, you know, back in the pioneer days. So I grew up around ranches, but also my family was in the heavy construction business. Um, and I grew up on the beach or near the beach. So I, I've, I've been a surfer all my life. Nice. You know, so, I was around some very, some great people, some very successful, very powerful individuals, um, including my dad and, you know, my uncles and all that. And while they were the, the mentors as such in my life, what I really, what I found connection with was being on the ranch. I'd rather been with the cows, but yeah. I'd rather be surfing too. Um, I started playing music when I was, when I was 14, my mom bought me a guitar, you know, so rather than then I just had no interest in the business world. Um, the, the conflict, the energy of that whole world, it just, it just didn't interest me, you know? So I ended up going to work on the farm and working on the ranch and started playing music and went on the road when I was 18, you know, moved to Nashville with a band. Um, and I don't know, I just kind of, I, I became like, I, I got, I, I got involved in a ranching partnership. Um, I traded commodities, but I've always lived a, a very, an independent life. I've always run my own show and done my own thing. Um, the, the issue or the invitation is the way I frame it today. The invitation that got me to pay attention in my life about what I was doing came about after having been married for 10 years and I got a divorce um, and all those behaviors that the partying all the time that was part of being on the road, playing music for a number of years and all that, you know, as my life changed, some of those behaviors never changed. Right. So my coping mechanism was getting high and, and, and running or, or whatever um, just to kind of be in a mess. And so I checked myself into a treatment center. Um, when I was 40. So that was the wake up call and where I really had that awareness that, okay, there's a whole other reality going on here beyond this frame that I have been calling, that I've been calling reality. You know, the whole energetic side of being human, the legacy, the trauma, the fear, the heartbreak, um, and the whole mystical side, the connection to the to spirit and to, you know, to, to the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would put it. Um, and I was inspired by that, you know, way beyond the fact that I wanted to change the behaviors that had got me there. You know, I wanted to, to end that addictive pattern. Um, it inspired me way beyond that. Let and, me ask you something. Did you, um, cause your story feels familiar to me. Did, did you, uh, ignore spirit when they were talking to you? Did you, did you ever sense that they were trying to get to you and, and you just kept blocking that with your behaviors? You know, I just, it, it was interesting because 
that that relationship or those relationships were really why I love the things I loved. Like I love the mountains. I love my family had ranches in Colorado also in oh, Wyoming. Nice. And so I love being in the mountains and I love being with the animals and I love being in the swamps in Florida and, and, and being in the ocean and surfing. So all of those relationships that were really my heart were all spirit connected relationships, but I didn't live my head necessarily from my heart. I mean, I didn't live my life from my heart. I lived my life from my mind. Right. Let's, let's, let's talk about that because that's very confusing for people. Um, this idea of living, you know, from head and heart. Um, let's talk about the difference between that. And, and you need a little bit of both. I think you need a little bit of, of both. Course. But, well, it's but, a balance. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, there's you know. a balance. But let, let's talk about what you mean by doing that. Um, so I could put it this way. In my life, I've lived a lot of roles. You know, I've been a son. I've been a, a cattleman. I've been a treatment center owner. I've been a father. Um, I've been a husband. Um, I've been this creative guy. I've been this out of the box character. I've been a lot of different things. You know, I was the guy on stage in front of the band. So all these aspects or roles that were, that each had their own little kind of a quirky personality associated with it. That is the mind level for me. That's the mind level relationship. So if my life was a, a, a movie, then those are the characters that I play. All those roles are the characters that I play. That's the mind orientation. It's based on the story that I'm telling myself about, well, my name's Lee McCormick and I'm a rancher and I have this many cattle and I lease this many acres. And, you know, the, I raised this bloodline of horses and um, I'm a commodities trader. And these are, you know, and it shifts as we create these stories about ourselves, we get so invested in the story that if we're not careful, we lose a, a, perce- a perspective that I'm actually not the story. I'm the one writing the story. But we get so enmeshed in the story that the story's running our life. We're not, right? Well, the ego needs a story. <laughs> the ego Absolutely. needs that story. And, well, and, and the story is our culture. Our culture, our relationship to our culture is based in the stories we're telling. Right. 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 It's not, it's not like, hello, Lee, nice to meet you. You know, how's your heart? It's what do you do? Cause yeah, if, people, if you tell me what you do for a living, I know who you are. Yeah, exactly. If you're sitting at the bar having a beer, nobody ever says, well, what do you do? You know, they say, what do you do? They don't say, well, what do you love? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, um, what, what are you inspired to do with your life? Um, so shifting the attention from all that role-oriented living and the story-oriented living, story of who you are, to what I call the heart center, to the soul place within us. And that's that place of, it's typically calm. It's where our intuition rests, right? Where you get those hits of you know something and you don't really know where it came from. It's that link to spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, the heart, the heart is the sense, I would say, regardless of all the things I've done in my life and all the places I've been, all the roles I've played, I've always known me to just be me, right? There's a me in here. Right. And, you, you know, we all know that. Like, you know who you are to you. 
you know how you feel when you put your attention on just being you. Well, heck, I'm the same me that I was when I was 20 or when I was five or, you know, through, through the whole arc of the age of my life, I've always just been me on the inside. Right. Okay. Well, that's the heart place. And so what is, what's the, the spark that's there? Like what, what do I love? Mm-hmm. And what are the relationships that make up the real value and meaning in my life? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what has outlasted all the jobs and all the relationships and all the stories, because all that stuff, if it can be taken away, it's not real. Right. It's, it can it's, all be taken away. I had everything taken away. And that's such a mind blowing thing to, to even wake up from and go, it's all gone. Who am I? Who because am I? So exactly. Attached to all of those things. You know, you, you're the car that you drive, you're the job that you have, you're the role that you play, but who are you? That person who came here, who are you? But, exactly. Oh, and that's what the heart reconnection yeah. book is about is, you know, not unlike your story, a lot of us end up, our life needs to completely fall apart. And, and often does. <laughs> yeah. And Someone lose everything us. because we don't pay attention to that, that innate anxiety or disease that's inside of us. We don't pay attention to the fact that, well, I've got all this stuff around me, but you know what? I'm not really happy. Yeah. And if we say that out loud, people say, well, what's the matter with you? You're just not grateful. You should be grateful for what you have. And so you shut up and you stop. Kind of grateful though. It's a different kind. But the, the, the book takes us into the quantum world, really, right? It takes us um, into the metaphysical a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious about the use of the medicine wheel. Let's talk about how people who are reading this book um, can use that medicine wheel to help themselves come out of wherever, yeah. whatever. I mean, they, there's a lot of little bits of lots of things that I recognize the timeline, the parts therapy, all different kinds of things. But there's also this, this metaphysical world that you, that you draw people into the heart world. Right. Really. Well, that's kind of first nature to me. So yeah. that's a great question because I tend to just take it for granted that everybody already gets that. No. Um, <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we're here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, the the number one basis for using the medicine wheel is it provides a perfect structure Mm -hmm. to, to, to guide our attention through. So it serves us when we want to look at our life, we want to take ourselves apart. We want to question, you know, who am I really, as you were saying a moment ago. Um, and we, we want to recreate our relationship with ourselves or with the world, then it really serves us to have a structure that we can shift our attention from one point to the second point to a third point, And it gives us a guideline to work with. You know, it, it serves us, especially these days, because in our culture and in this world, our attention is just all over the place. You know, ADD is like normal. Yeah. Right. And everything's vying for our attention. Everything's trying to hook our attention. And unless we are, unless we're a unique individual that's just innately grounded anyway, and very, very aware of what we're giving our attention to, which is certainly not normal in today's world, then, then we're well served by having a frame of reference that we can work with. And, and that was the baseline for using the wheel. Um, 
you know, the rest of the story of the medicine wheel is that life is a circular journey. And when you've lived it long enough, you realize, you know, you, you come back to points where you realize, oh, my God, you know, I'm back here again. And I'm, I have a whole other point of view on this now. Mm-hmm. Or I have a complete other awareness about myself now. Um, or your pattern of behavior just brings you back again and again. Exactly. You your patterns, right? Yeah. Or you keep meeting yourself and you keep, you know, and you wonder what's going on. Well, yeah. it's like, who's why am I failing again? Why is this relationship not working? Why is this? Yeah. So the, the wheel serves as a mirror yeah. in that regard. So we can look in the mirror and say, well, what's a common denominator here? Well, I'm the common denominator here. Yeah. So, you know, then, then we can enter into that, that reflection and, um, and begin to question ourselves. And so, and the wheel also being timeless allows us to, to work with the different aspects that are the qualities of each of the directions um, and visit that starting today. And then you may pick this book up in 12 months or 24 months and you may revisit it again and it becomes a journey of self-reflection where we, we really end up taking responsibility for how we choose to create our life, which is incredibly important and incredibly powerful to, to realize that creating my life is a, it's an everyday deal. It's not, you know, it's not, well, I got the job, I got the relationship, I got the house, I got the car, I got the money in the bank. Now I just cruise forward. You know, we get in big trouble doing that because life is a continuously changing, morphing mystery more than it is a, a series of facts. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Hang on one second. I got a little doggy here. You be quiet. I don't hurt you. <laughs> There's two doggies here, but this one wants to be a mouthpiece today. Uh, so, so if I'm reading the book, the, you know, the medicine wheel takes us to north, south, east, and west. It gives us um, a time frame for youth, for, you know, for the future, for the past. And we can, and we can go around it with the certain features and, and, and find ourselves uh, in a timeline. Basically, we're looking at a timeline yeah. and going, when did this belief start? Or when did I start thinking that? And, and working your way through those, through those belief systems and, and saying, do I really believe that? Do yeah, I really that, believe that? that? still true today? Yeah. You know, I, because I've believed a lot of things. Think about all the beliefs you've held in the course of your life. Oh, yeah. And how many of them at, at a point in time, that was absolutely true. And if you go back and look at that today, you're like, well, what was I thinking? Well, because well, our parents told us things and our grandparents told us things and our teachers told us things and people who were important to us told us things. And we took those things at face value and, and we believed them until we were old enough or smart enough or wise enough to think, do I really believe that? Do yeah, I well, believe that? You know, one of the dynamics that we deal with that's, in, that's a part of the book is, is the pressure to immediately either agree or disagree, right? Which when you're living from that place of, I'm immediately going to respond to, you know, with either, okay, well, I believe this or no, I don't believe that. We really end up living life in a series of reactions. We're not actually making choices. No. We're living out a reaction and it's emotionally driven. It's not awareness driven. And so we don't allow ourselves to drop in. You know, that's why this fake news thing yeah. is, is such a freak show today because the media knows full well and the political system and the power brokers of the world, they know full well that they can just drive humans out of reactions 
to sell in stories and to mm-hmm. sound bites. You know, so we're incredibly easily manipulated because we don't allow there to be a pause between an experience or or an input of information, and we don't stop and say, hmm, okay, that's interesting. I'm not going to believe it or disbelieve it. I'm just going to kind of sit back and think, huh, well, let's see what, let's see what else comes forward. Right. And we, we give up so much power, personal power and our ability to create a life we love when we live our life out of a series of one reaction to the next and our life gets chaotic, you know, and we feel powerless and then we're anxious. Yeah. And then we're fearful. When you blame other people too, you give away so much power. You know, it's not my fault. Not my fault. Yeah. Everything's your fault. (laughs) Everything's your fault. (laughs) And then somebody on television has got a pill that'll fix that. Yeah. Hey, easy way. We all want the easy way out. But you know, I, I, I really fully believe that, that we come here with a job to do and we finally get a wake up call in midlife Mm -hmm. kind of usually or through that chaos or trauma or something happens or the addictions and we come out of it and, and, and we go, Oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm meant to do. That's what you're meant to do. You're doing what you're meant to do. You're, you're now yeah. doing what you're meant to do. You've been doing it probably for 20 years, but you're doing what you're meant to do. Waking you know, up. I think we come here to be who we really are. Yeah. And that gets hijacked. Yeah. At a very young age that gets hijacked. Um, and then our loyalties get all twisted. You know, as little kids, we love unconditionally. Yeah. And and we don't realize that the adults are all crazy. <laughs> I think, you know, I think we do in varying degrees sometimes. I mean, you know, I, I, I was happy just to hang out in a barn with a bunch of animals because I think they're a lot nicer than people. But, um, you well, know. Well, they're never confused about what they are. No. You know, people tell me all the time, because, you know, I still, I have a ranch and I, I still have run a bunch of cows and raise quarter horses and stuff. And you can say, well, cows are so dumb. I said, dude, a cow never wakes up in the morning and says, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I don't think they're dumb. (laughs) No, no, they're not dumb at all. They're incredibly well adapted, you know, Um, but there's, there's just a world of opportunity and the heart reconnection journey. the, The greatest gift in all of it is that, we are worthy of and deserving of the opportunity to realize that we are each unique and that we do each have value. And that just by the simple fact that we've been given a life here, we have value. So Lee, let me ask you something. Do you see your book as a lifeline for, for people with addiction? Is it more for the healers to use as, as a Bible to help other people? Um, if you were in that place, let's say that space that, that set you to go into a treatment center. Could you have used that book yourself at that time? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, this book is not, it's not recovery oriented necessarily. It's human oriented, Mm -hmm. which is the same way that I create treatment programs. I don't create treatment programs that treat addiction or eating disorders or bipolar. I, I create treatment programs that meet human beings where they're at and help them address and unravel the issues that are sabotaging their life, right? So rather than the focus being on a diagnosis, the focus is on the person. Yeah, yeah. Um, And this book comes out of that same point of view that we're each deserving of an opportunity to wake up. 
That's what it amounts to. And we fall under so many spells, the spells of our culture and all these belief systems and all the stuff we've been taught and told and all the stuff we've decided to give our faith to. And we're, we're deserving of an opportunity to wake up and this book serves that. And I think, you know, from my point of view, it serves it from wherever you're at, because there's a lot of, there are many perspectives in this book, uh, many points of view in this book. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized years ago is that we also are deserving of the respect to be offered more than one point of view on healing or on beliefs or on, on tools or practices in our journey. We're worthy of more than one perspective that's respectful because it then gives us the opportunity to respond to what feels correct to us. So in, in your history of, of healing um, and addiction and the, the, this um, self-sabotage, and I, usually it's the members of the board. I call them the members of the board. And mm-hmm. there's, one, there's one board member who likes to self-sabotage more than others. Um, but <laughs> it's the yeah. one that, that wants his food to keep going in that mouth. Right? But... <laughs> <laughs> what what is that about self-love is it about you don't love yourself is it what what is self-sabotage about oh god that's that can be about a lot of things really okay i, I think i think the a lot base of people suffer with that and I, I i like to explore that a little bit if we can i think the baseline of it is is we hold core agreements with ourselves, core beliefs about ourselves that we're not worthy Mm-hmm. That we're not good enough, you know, and we don't have faith in ourselves. So we work towards something, we we accomplish something, you know, we're we're in a place where we're we're close to realizing a goal or realizing a relationship that we've wanted. Um and then fear just pops up and says, Well, you know, the old script pops up, the old message, like you said, the 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 board in our head, the feeling pops up that, well, I'm probably really not worth it or I'm too much or I'm not enough or, you know, it doesn't work for me. These old beliefs pop up. And because we agree with that message, Mm -hmm. we've given faith to that message in the past. We sabotage it because we don't believe that we ultimately can have it. And it's not true, but it's easy to make ourselves feel like it's true. Yeah you know, and, and we do do that. Yeah. In, in coaching terms, you know, I call the underlying automatic commitment. It's a, you know, you don't recognize that you have a commitment to the outcome, but you do. And so if you don't feel loved or, or, or mommy said, you know, this is how I show you love and I feed you a donut. Um, when you're not feeling loved, you're going to go grab that donut. And it's just, you don't even know why you do that. You just do it. Yeah. Momentary happiness or feeling of that just loved me for a second, but it's sure. gone right? It's gone. Yeah. And that behavior is, 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 is harmful. And, and when you recognize that you're harming yourself, but you don't know how to stop harming yourself, that's, that's a heartache. Well, and then you judge yourself over it and then you shame yourself over it. And other people you know, shame you over it. And it's, you, you got the circle, right? Exactly. Now, you, now we got to jump into that, that medicine wheel. Yeah. It becomes okay. a loop. So how do I break the pattern? How do and I that's break the pattern? The, that's one of the most powerful baselines of the whole shamanic work the whole shamanic realm is the awareness that okay i'm i'm in the middle of a life that's not really serving me i'm not really happy here i don't know what to do about it right i'm lost i'm i'm trapped 
I've got all this stuff on me. Well, one of the first things to do is to start breaking those patterns. And I mean the simple little physical patterns. I tell people all the time, I want you to go to a different grocery store every week for a month. I want you to drive a different way to work and a different way home. Don't repeat the same route. And I don't care if it means that you just go around one extra block. You know, I want you to park a block away from where you're going and walk. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good. I like that. Well, it opens you up. Yeah. You you realize if I'm driving a whole different way to work, then I'm paying attention to where I'm going. I'm not on automatic pilot. Yes. I'm not in my head listening to the voices in my head, or I'm not zoned out with the music that I'm playing. I'm actually present in the world. Yeah, we can't engage in a greater life until we can bring our attention and our awareness into the moment with us and be engaged in life. You 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 have a a passion for the shamanic, and I think you do you do you do retreats, shamanic retreats. In, I do. Well, do you have yeah. or, or is that where you do it at your? Yeah. Home? So, so Teo, um, you know, I was introduced to to. Sweat Lodge practices, gosh, 20 years ago with a, a traditional Navajo healer who became a brother of mine. Um, and we just did a lot of ceremony together over the years. He just passed away recently. I'm sorry. Um, and then I, in my journey, in my trying to find what was missing, because after I got out of treatment, I was like, okay, I can get a sponsor and I can, you know, stay clean and sober. But that's there's something more going on here, and I'm I need. Did to you connect. have to give up mute your music to do that? No, I didn't. Uh, Good for you. No, I was I played music a long time before I was crazy. Um, so that was <laughs> that, that relationship. Fire is out crazy. <laughs> oh, I was crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm a drummer. Know, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I started reading a lot of books. You know, it was the '90s, and there were there were still bookstores. Yeah. And so I made myself start reading again. Um, and I read the four agreements and that, that book just it's like, a wonderful totally book. Yeah. so I ended up finding Miguel. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I spent 10 years real involved in the Toltec scene. Um, and out of that created the dreaming house, which is our place in Teotihuacan with my Mexican family. Nice. Um, I have families all over the place. So, um, spirit families you know but the shamanic world the shamanic world brings the awareness that i believe is necessary of the cause and effect of how powerful our choices and our actions are and it also brings into our awareness the opportunity to realize what's actually really real and what's not really real that we might we might hold as being real. So it just opens up the interdimensionality of life and how creative life is. And like, do you do soul retrievals and things like that? I don't, but I, you know, I work with people that do. Yeah. Um, you know, the journeys to Teotihuacan, I'm going back next week. Um, I'm flying down on the fifth. We have a journey. So you can still come. Oh. Um, it's on spiritrecovery.com, but okay. it's a, it's a, a week long experience. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah, write that down. I know it's and we have a film on um Gaim TV. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, called Dreaming Heaven. Oh nice. Okay. I'll check that out. Yeah. Nice. 
So um, how many people can usually attend? You know, anywhere from eight or 10 to 25 or 30. I just never know. Okay. Um, I actually don't really pay a lot of attention to it. I just, you know, I'll Show check up. the week before we're going because yeah. I want to go home anyway. Yeah. It's, that's my, that's my, my heart home place. Yeah. Is. That's where all the, my spirit people are there. Oh. You know, so I, I go to Teotihuacan, to the pyramids, to our dreaming house. And then I always spend a day um, at the Basilica of Guadalupe in Mexico City. So it happens that December 12th is the Fiesta Day um, for Tonantzin, for the, for the Virgin of Guadalupe. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we'll go to the Basilica with a million other people um, for, her, for her celebration. Yeah. Yeah, my, my folks live in, in Mexico. They, they love Mexico. My dad, he loves it. He, he, he's pleased he's a Mexican now. Uh, no, I, love I, I think they're beautiful people. They're really, just the sweetest, beautiful people. Um, I know in the book you mentioned uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I had the pleasure of having on my show uh, mm-hmm. several years ago, and I love Bruce. Um, and the idea, like the one thing I loved about about what he talks about is is the imaginal cells, the cells that we can reimagine that are free radicals, actually that that we can say, hey you know what, today you're going to become a this cell because I need you to go and do this work for me. And, and so we can, by what we believe in our heads, we change our physiology. Mm-hmm. And you talk a little bit about that in your book. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, actually it's interesting because I love Bruce too. That section of the book is something that Mary wrote. Um, because this book was a collaboration, which is really a trip to have three or four people contributing into one manuscript. You think so? Um, <laughs> I had 21 in this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a lot of work. I know what it's like. Yeah. Especially as yeah, a lead author. A lot yeah. of work. Um, you know, the, the thing that is so powerful to me about what, what Bruce brings forward from the quantum world around genetics in particular mm-hmm. is that for so long we were all taught that our, our genes were cast in stone, you know, and that you have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism or, or whatever, this or that. And the truth is the genes don't do anything necessarily. It's the environment that we're living in and the choices that we're making and the energy of the beliefs that we're holding and how we respond and engage with life through the, through how we hold ourselves that impacts and either turns the genes off or on. So the truth is, and this is where it gets tricky because of our cultural programming. The truth is we're not victims of anything except the fact that we abandon or have never been taught how powerful our attention, our choice and beliefs um, and our energy is in determining the quality of our life and determining our health, you know, determining so many aspects because we literally are co-creating our entire existence here with every choice and every action. And Um, we're co-creating it with spirit. And and that's what's so amazing is that people forget that or never knew that. And, you know, they, people talk a lot about living in your head is living in the third dimension, living in from your heart is living in the fifth dimension. And when you can fully live in your heart, then you know, you're living in a world that loves one another, which is something I think we should all aspire to. I think that'd be pretty cool. And well, you know what happens organically? 
And yeah. we all have personalities. You know, we all have unique, little, quirky, weird personalities. And I mean, some of the most fantastic, powerful teachers and healers that I've ever run into were grouchy characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, well, that's a personality. Big deal. Get over it. Yeah. You know, the world's not full of self-help gurus. Like, it's very funny. When I, I spent all those years working with Miguel, and Miguel Ruiz was a sorcerer. And, you know, uh, and he's not a self-help guy. And he's not here to babysit you. Yeah. You know, and people would get so upset because he's, he was ruthless about it. Like, his life and his time is valuable to him. And he's not going to waste it babysitting a bunch of sloppy people who have no real intention of changing anything. They just want to be babysat. Yeah, I love you know? that. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is right I can, on. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, people are 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 real vampires, you know, they really are of time and, and, and they suck the energy out of you because they think they can help you, but they don't want to help themselves, and that's the hardest part. Nobody can do it for you. This is no, work they- you have to do yourself. That's right. We can encourage you and we can, you know, love you or we could be, you know, strike a whip at you, but you have to do this yourself. Well, and the gift in that is that you end up recovering faith in yourself because you, you actually realize once you, you have to do it, like you have to get there and then you realize, oh my God, I actually can do this for myself. And it's incredibly humbling, you know, but as long as, because because we've been born into a culture that teaches us a victim-minded consciousness and our culture teaches us that we really don't have any power, that if we want to know something, find an expert and get someone to give you an answer. And that just undermines our, it undermines the integrity of what we really are, you know, from the get go. So yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. It's almost like, we have to de-roll from the relationship of life that we inherited to realize the truth of the depth and the mystery that life actually really is. I like that. It's deep. But, you know, think about it. Think about if, let's say, for instance, let's, let's pretend, well, I believe it, but others aren't. So let's pretend that we did choose the families that we, that we you know, are brought into. And let's look at the gifts of those families, even if they're hard gifts, right? They're hard. They were obstacles. They were mean. They, they abused you, whatever. But there's gifts in that. There's gifts in that. And when you overcome that, you are an amazing person. Like you have abilities. Like you're like got superpowers that, well, that were gifted to you because of that. Yeah. You chose well, that. I have a point of view around this that's fairly recent. And that is that in so many family legacies, you know, the patterns, patterns are passed forward from generation to generation to generation. So you have these outlier characters, you know, like for a long time, I thought I was completely born into the wrong family. Like, I don't, I don't belong here. I didn't fit in. Well, I didn't fit in, in a, in a sense, but the truth is those of us that don't fit in are the ones that break those cycles yeah. And that break those legacies open so that the legacy can can heal and evolve and move on. And the outliers, the, the black sheep, are the ones that create that opening where evolution in that family can happen and that family can move forward and start letting go of that old heavy pattern and that old heavy woundedness or whatever it was. I love that. That's been passed on from one generation to the next. Yeah. So, you know, we're, 
we have a very definite role and we're in service to the humanity because I, I really, to, at this point, I don't believe that what we inherit here is personal. I don't think it's a curse that you're born into a, a messed up family with all kind of heartbreak and tragedy and trauma. I think we just land where we land. I mean, maybe we choose it. It doesn't really matter. The fact is we, we land where we land. We inherit what we inherit. You got to do the most with it. If you want to take it personally and be a victim to it, then you can go there. That's what the culture teaches us. That also is going to completely undermine you and you're going to live trapped in that mess potentially for your whole life. Or you can push back against it, find a way to deal with it, and you can learn to take 100% responsibility for the fact that I'm not responsible for the legacy I inherited, but I am completely responsible for how I respond to it. Yeah. Well, right. we said a moment earlier, you know, that, that when you blame other people for your circumstance, you give away your power. And as soon as you say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm responsible for how I react. Nobody can make me feel a certain way. I choose to feel that way or not. And I think that you just opened up a new greeting card for the black sheep. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I, I think that's a role that we serve, honestly. Yeah, I love that. It's a great idea. It's a, it's a wonderful way to think about it, that, you know, you're, you're like the disruptor. Yeah, we, kind of, we break the mold. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you hope for the addiction world? What do you, what do you hope, like, you've... You, you, started a paradigm shift do you do you hope that more people will come on board and say less pills and more you know timeline therapy or what, what are you hoping for oh gosh you know i just i create what i create um and and i know that like attracts like so you know what i hope for is that what we've started well we didn't what this book represents, that the platform that we are in the process of beginning to create around this book and around a, a fresh message, um, around a fresh energy, that, that that platform gets raised up to a place to where people will, will realize there is a choice that if you're facing mental health addictions issues or trauma or heartbreak or any of this, it's all human stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The qualifiers that were human. Yeah. That's really the deal. So I hope that, that this platform and this book get raised up to a point to where people realize that there are choices here. I don't, you know, I, I can go left, I can go right, I can go down the middle. Um, but I have choices and, and, how I'm going to step into my own healing um, and my own journey of recovery. There's um, as there, you know, the hardest part for a lot of people is the forgiveness part. Yeah. And again, forgiveness doesn't mean that you forgive somebody that they get whitewashed, you know, forgiveness right. is for you. It's for you so that you can heal and move on. Like I know that there is a bit in the book about forgiveness. Yeah. The forgiveness thing is, it's tricky and it's powerful. And you know, that comes a little later down the road with most people. And, um, you know, at the least one thing I've realized is that anything that I'm living in judgment of, I'm living attached to my judgment of 
something that may have happened in my life 20 years ago, me continuing to judge that or hold anger or resentment or hate toward that situation. Mm-hmm. I am intentionally and most likely not aware of it, but I am intentionally continuing to live attached to that experience. And that's me doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'm doing it to myself now. I find and, it easier to, to, to look at that person and think that is, that is a, a not a human being, but it's a spiritual being. So I look for the spiritual being in that body somewhere, in that heart, I guess, and go, okay, that's, this isn't who they are. This isn't who they really are. This is just what they're presenting here yeah. in this time and space. So I can forgive that, that spiritual person a lot easier than I can that human person, I guess. And so it's, it's kind of a way of working around it. I don't know. Well, for me, it's even, it's, I don't know, maybe it's more more cold-blooded than that. <laughs> I don't want to carry any energy around with me that I'm not consciously choosing to stay connected to. And I'm responsible for all the energy that I carry around with me. And the energy I'm carrying around with me is emotional, it's intellectual, it's spiritual. So everything that I choose to, to live connected to, I am responsible for that connection. All right? So... I don't want to carry around resentment and anger and hate and all that stuff. It's not, it's not real here today. The only thing that exists today is the energy that I'm giving to that opinion or that judgment or that agreement, you know, or the imprint of that experience. And the imprint of that experience is still alive because I keep feeding it. Right. I keep giving it my attention. I keep reacting to the memory. All right. So I want to clean all that crap. I don't want to carry that around anymore. So, you know, I could say to, to, like you said in the beginning, the forgiveness is not about the other person. It's really about me. Well, it's also about letting that go because things that happened in the past don't exist anymore. Yeah. The only thing that exists is the story or the energy that's been locked up in my energy body as a result of how I came to judge that experience. If I had never judged that experience as wrong or bad, then, then there I would not have created that imprint. Do you follow me? Yeah. If I'd not judged it, the experience would have moved right through me and kept on going and I wouldn't be carrying the baggage of it. Have you done any work with people living backward in time? So just knowing that your future, you're already perfect. And so we go back and trace, retrace our steps. It's kind of an interesting. Well, a big part of the, again, the shamanic world point of view around this is that it's very important it's really critical that at a point you go back and do what we call recapitulate. So you go all the way back to the earliest memory you can come up with. And this is how, this is the, how the first half of the spirit recovery medicine bag book was written. It was an assignment that I got like 12, 14 years ago to write my life story. Okay. Go back to your earliest memory and just start writing everything you can remember, every scene, every interaction. And, and it's, it's a crazy process to enter into. You know, you don't write it like a book. You just start writing and then you'll elaborate on things. And you may, you know, if you're 35, 40 years old, you're probably going to write on this for six months or a year and you keep revisiting it. Well, the recapitulation takes us back through all those energetic threads of agreement and judgment and attachment that we are still 
that are still holding our energy wow. and keeping us connected to the past. And it bleeds energy out of our life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it creates a heavy energy that, that wears us down. You want, you know, we wonder about the integrity of our physical body and the frequency that we're vibrating at that keeps us healthy. Well, when you're carrying all that baggage and all that woundedness and all those stories and all those resentments and all that heartbreak, when you're carrying that, it drags down the frequency of your physical body. And then you wonder, well, why are we sick? Yeah. So the shamanic world approaches this. It's, it's all energy. It's not about right, wrong, good, bad. It's about realizing that you hold the power and the ability to recapitulate and write out all your story of your whole life, however long it takes. And when you're done, you'll realize that, look, it's, it's just a story. And now you can let it go. You know, you can burn the, the book that you write. You know, you, there's practices involved in that process that allow you to start releasing those agreements and those attachments as it's coming up and you just clean yourself. I've done this with a number of people that are in treatment and they've been to treatment two or three or four times, you know, and they do work on themselves and they get better and then they go back out and I'm like, well, you've never recapitulated the whole story. You know, there, there are deepest agreements and the biggest challenges that we hold oftentimes are buried so deep that we don't even know they're there. Yeah. You know, so following those threads all the way to the beginning and then working your way all the way back out. If you really want to clean yourself, that's the ticket. And it's a lie. Yeah, well, most of it is a lie. All of it's a lie. Unless you choose to believe something yourself. You know, it's hard to do those threads, but it's a wonderful practice. And, you know, if people don't understand what we're talking about. I'll give you a, a really good example of my own, in my own uh, life. Um, I couldn't understand why if an event came up, I had to lose weight. Oh, I have to lose weight. I can't go until I lose weight. I don't deserve to go unless I lose weight. Took that thread, took it all the way back, all the way back. I was eight years old. I wanted a puppy. And my mom says, you can't have that puppy until you lose weight. There you go. And there was that memory. And I went, she, that's the start of it. That was yeah. the part of it. You don't deserve until you do this. And I'm like, wow, now I can let that go. Yeah. And, and it wasn't your mom doing that to you. It was you doing that to you because you weren't even aware as a child when you made that agreement. That's right. You had no awareness that that, ag- that agreement was then like locked into place. Yeah. In your psyche and you lived with it until you revisited it. Yeah. It was such an eye opener when I finally, it came to me and I kept going back, you know, what's the next memory? What's the next memory? What's the next memory? And then that came up. I go, oh my God, look at that. Yeah. Well, we carry a lot, man. Being human, being human is a trip. This this is not an easy road that we're on as human beings. Okay. So at your spirit recovery lodge, is this ayahuasca? Is this? uh, No, we don't do any plant medicine. Any plant medicine. I'm not opposed to it. Yeah. You know, but what I've realized over the years is it, it's it's not necessary. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they can be a real asset. So the, those those plant spirits can really help you in a regard, but that's not what the journeys to Mexico or Peru are about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've I've had experiences with ibogaine, and had ex- and I went to Native American church ceremonies, peyote ceremonies for several years. Um, 
what, you know, what I hope for people is that they realize that they, they hold the ability to, to bridge beyond the frame of this physical world and to have real living relationships with, you know, their spirit people. Um, and that the plant medicines are, are not really necessary. And sometimes you can have an experience in a, in a plant medicine ceremony, you know, that actually you can then say, Oh, wow, well, that really is real. Well, now I'll believe I can go there and you won't believe you could go there otherwise. But the, the downside of it is that you say, Oh, well, wow. Ayahuasca is the healer and ayahuasca is going to save me. Well, no, it's not ayahuasca's responsibility to save you. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to save you. Let the ayahuasca be a teacher, but don't make a, a don't make a guru out of a plant spirit. It never asks for that. What was the name of your band in Nashville? Oh God, it was just me. It was Lee McCormick. We had a band called Bucksnort. <laughs> Bucksnort is an exit. It's an exit on the interstate, and that was Waylon Jennings' favorite exit. He thought that Buck was Snort. really funny. Bucksnort, yeah. Tennessee. That is funny. I love. Yeah, it. so it came back to Waylon. I, I worked with some of the guys that worked for Waylon back yeah. in the late seventies. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lee McCormick, you're a character. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a good time with you. Yeah, I did too. This is fun. We could we could go have a good time together. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Good. We're going to say goodbye to you Facebook friends, and uh, I will see you Thursday. Just stay with me for a second. <laughs>